You know, Christianity is one of, without a doubt, the most remarkable stories in history. It's boggled historians for years because when you look at the story of Christianity, the very fact that we are here tonight, they, historians to this day have not been able to figure out how it survived the first century. Like when you study other major world religions, they're remarkable stories when you study the essence, the creation, the founder, the writing, the, 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 how the revolution began that established that religion. Remarkable stories, but they make sense. Like you understand when you hear the story how it survived and why it survived and, and why that religion is in the world today. But when it comes to Christianity to this day, nobody can figure out how it survived the first century. They did everything wrong. Everything wrong. It makes no sense. And at the center of it all is a cross. The cross is the center of our faith, which is the most remarkable part of this entire story. That this became the greatest symbol in human history. Do you know how much money Nike or Coke would pay for a symbol like this? I mean, when it comes to the marketing of it, more people, you know, market the cross freely on cars and on necklaces and on buildings and any other symbol in the history of mankind. Why? What is it about this cross? You know, one of the most remarkable things to me in history is the city of Rome. When you study the, the history of Rome, this is a picture of the Colosseum. This is one of the gates they would parade the disciples in who were murdered and tortured and killed under the emperor Nero. Here's another building in Rome, buildings in Rome, that all proudly display the cross. In fact, when you go to the city of Rome today, there are more crosses per building than any city in the world. All throughout the city of Rome, crosses adorn buildings everywhere. Now, before you kind of jump ahead and you think to yourself, well, that makes sense. I mean, isn't Rome where the Vatican is? Isn't Rome where the Catholic Church was established, where the Pope resides? Of course there's going to be crosses across the city of Rome. It makes sense. But let's go back in time for a moment. Let's go back to A.D. 64, A.D. 65, when, when Nero is the emperor of Rome, and Rome rules the known world. Here you got Nero, he burns down the city of Rome, needs a scapegoat, needs somebody to blame the, the burning of Rome down, so he blames it on a group of people that they called, it was a very derogatory term during this time period, because people who followed Jesus would never, ever, ever call themselves this, but the derogatory, it's kind of like a racial slur, what was called them, they were called Christians, Acts tells us it was in Antioch that they were first called this slur, this derogatory term. And so Nero blames the Christians. We have Nero's circus where they paraded and killed them. We have Nero who used Christians. They would impale them on poles throughout the city, cover them with oil, and burn them at night as the streetlights for the city of Rome. I mean, when you think of the carnage and the death and the torture, and the murder that was going on. Now, I want, I want to take you now outside the city of Rome, back during this time. Outside the city of Rome, there's a little farm property. In the back of this farm property, there's a little 
kind of cave in the side of the hill where they would keep the animals at night. And there's a Christian family hiding in the back of this cave, fearing for their life because there's a bounty on their head. Their friends are encouraged to turn them into the Roman authority so that they could be taken to Nero's circuits and displayed and killed. And you got this father sitting, hiding, worrying about his wife, worrying about his children, worrying about his very life. Can you feel the anxiety? Can you feel the fear? The unknown? Now I want you to imagine you can go back in time and have a conversation with this man. And say to this man, did you know that in a matter of time, a very short matter of time, just a couple hundred years, which in the scheme of history is not a very long time at all, that the city of Rome one day will be adorned with crosses everywhere. The cross that represents this Nazarene carpenter that you worship, Jesus the Messiah. Think about this. The very epicenter of Christian persecution. The very place where they're trying to annihilate anything that has anything to do with this Jesus. One day, buildings across the city are going to display the cross of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what this father would have thought? You're crazy. That is the most foolish, ridiculous thing I have ever heard. Rome is forever. This is the city of of Jupiter and Zeus and all of the pagan gods and the pagan temples. And you're trying to tell me one day there will be more buildings representing Jesus than anything else? You are out of your mind. Do you realize how far-fetched this was? How absolutely crazy it would be to imagine that Rome one day would bow a knee to this Jesus. All of those temples for pagan gods, the temple of Zeus the temple of Aphrodite, the temple of Jupiter, one day all of those temples will be turned into Christian places of worship. Really, in a very short period of time. One day, followers of this Jewish Messiah would make pilgrimage to Rome to explore Nero's circus and pay honor to the people that shed their blood for their faith. Could you imagine what would go through their mind telling them these stories of what would happen in just about a 200, 250 years? Which honestly is a very short period of time. So how did this cross, how did this cross of Jesus, one of the most despised, one of the most shameful symbols of the first century become one of the greatest symbols of hope and one of the greatest symbols in the history of the world. Well, we've got to understand what the cross represents. Paul goes on to write in Corinthians for the message of the cross. And what's very interesting about Paul's writing and the other epistles is they focus more on the cross than the resurrection. You see, all of the gospels point to the fact that it was on the cross Jesus won the victory. The resurrection, yes, is very important to our faith. But they talk about the cross over and over 
and over, which is remarkable when you understand what the cross represented when they wrote this. So what Paul is saying here is very, very true. The message of the cross is foolishness. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's crazy to imagine to those who are perishing, those that don't have a relationship with this Jesus, but to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. It's where victory was won. He goes on to say, but we preach Christ crucified, Christ on the cross. Which is amazing, again, that he doesn't say we, we preach Christ in the empty tomb. He says we preach Christ on the cross. Which is a stumbling block to the Jews. It's been the hardest thing for a Jew to accept a Messiah on a cross. The Messiah was there to win victory over Rome. The Messiah was there to lead a rebellion. The Messiah was there to win their independence, to, to bring them out from the slavery, the oppression of the Roman Empire. Not to go to a cross. It's a stumbling block to the Jewish mentality that for centuries have been waiting for this prophesied Messiah and their freedom. And to the Gentiles, it's, it's absolutely foolish because it's slaves and it's rebels who, who, who receive the death penalty of the cross. I mean, can you imagine in the first century worshiping a guy who was crucified? How absolutely foolish that would have been to the Gentile mindset? He's dead. He was killed on a cross. You see, the very first Good Friday, people were horrified. People were shocked beyond measure. Jesus' followers were brokenhearted. They were utterly in despair. Everything they had hoped for, all of the miracles, all of the power, the Messiah of who he is, ended that day. To the point that some of them went back to their old jobs. Because in their mind, it's over. It's over. Rome won. He's not the Messiah. And see, this is one of the reasons why Christianity has baffled historians because no religion would ever paint the leader, the founder, in this type of light. No religion would ever put their, their leader on a cross crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not noble. That's not regal. That's not authoritative. Nobody would ever paint their founder in that type of light. See how honest and authentic the gospel is? It paints a very real picture that to this day people struggle with. See, in the first century, people would not use the word cross in, in polite conversation. You wouldn't... Like at the table with your family, there's certain topics you don't talk about. This would have been one of the topics you don't mention, you don't bring up, because it, it, it creates nightmares. These are people who grow, grew up seeing this on a regular... Jesus was not the first person they saw crucified. I mean, can you imagine being a seven and eight, nine-year-old child in this time period... 
Every time you walk in the city, they, they would at the city gates, they would crucify people to create terror and fear in the people so that nobody would ever cross Rome. And as a seven-year-old boy, people would be on the cross three or four days before they died. Animals eating the flesh off of their body, unable to help themselves, rotting, decaying, the smell, the stench. And as a child, they saw this. Can you imagine the nightmares the kids of this period would have had? Thinking, what will happen one night if these Romans come into my house and take me and put me on a cross? They all knew somebody that had been crucified. They all had friends who, or at least acquaintances, people they went to school with or grew up with that, that suffered this fate. That's why earlier on in Jesus' ministry, when he made the statement, he says, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Do you realize when Jesus said this, it wasn't jewelry? It wasn't a painting. See, the cross for us, you know, we love to wear it around our neck. We love to put it on our wall. It gives us hope. It didn't give the crowd of people hope that day. You've got to understand, when Jesus said this, it terrified them. And that's why many people walked out on him that day. Many people said, this is too hard for me. Forget that. Like, if that's what it takes to follow you, I'm out. Because when Jesus made this statement, the cross represented death in the worst, most painful, horrific form of death imaginable. You see, the Romans did not invent crucifixion, but they perfected it. Crucifixion was not designed to kill a man. Crucifixion was designed to keep a man alive as long as as humanly possible. That's why for many people it would take days. That's why in the gospel story they went to break their legs because it was suffocation that you died from. And if your legs were broken, you couldn't pull yourself up for air. And because of the Passover, they, they, they had to have them die before the ceremony would begin. I mean, this is brutal. It's horrific. And yet God chose this specific moment in history. You see, if God would have sent Jesus back in our lifetime, he would have died of lethal injection. But God chose a moment in history where capital punishment was the most brutal, the most terrifying, the bloodiest, the most horrific. And the goal of crucifixion was shame, it was pain, it was public humiliation. All so that people would fear Rome. Never step out of line and never cross the Roman soldiers. And by the way, I want you to remember Jesus. He marched into the city of Jerusalem. Jesus wasn't captured trying to flee to Egypt. He wasn't caught hiding in the caves of En Gedi like King David when he fled from Saul. He wasn't at the port of Joppa trying to run away like Jonah. Jesus marched into Jerusalem knowing full well what was going to take place that Friday. 
He knew what to expect. He grew up, again, seeing this. He knew the pain. He knew the suffering. Now, let me bring you to the problem that we have in our modern culture, that we have in Christianity today, and a lot of it comes from Plato. We've, we've had you know, what they call Platonism influence <coughs> theology. You know, Plato taught that the material world was inherently evil. The spiritual world was inherently good. And so we've had that doctrine around A.D. 200 influence the church. And we have a major issue now when it comes to the cross. Because many Christians today, many churches today, many people today have been taught and believed that the cross of Jesus was God's rescue plan to get us to heaven. Like the whole point of the cross is so that we could go to heaven. And that's what the cross is all about. That's not what the cross is about. Yes, that's a byproduct of the cross, but that was never God's goal. God wasn't creating a rescue plan to get us out of planet earth and bring us away from here and take us to heaven. All four gospels clearly point to the crucifixion as the moment where the creator God wins the victory over darkness, over all principalities, over all evil spirits, over Satan and every demonic force. It was there that God won. Jesus put it like this in John 12. Now is the time for judgment on this world. See, it doesn't happen at the end of the age. That, that's when it happens for Satan, it happens on the world now. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. He says, and when I am lifted up, talking about when he would hang on that piece of wood. When I am lifted up on the cross, that's when this happens. I will draw all people to myself. Again, this is why the gospel writers point to the death, not the resurrection, as the moment that victory took place. You see, it was the cross where the battle was won. And what makes this so remarkable, what really brought this to life for me, is when I began to ask the question, why Passover? Why Passover? For those of you that know that the history of the Old Testament, there were a number of major festivals in Israel. Jesus specifically chose Passover for his crucifixion. He orchestrated the events where, where that is when it would take place. Jesus could have been crucified during the, the festival of weeks, Pentecost, the festival of tabernacles. More appropriately, many people would have assumed he would have been crucified during the Day of Atonement, when all of Israel's sin would be atoned for, national holiday in Israel. But out of all of the different holidays and festivals, he chose Passover. Why Passover? You see, when you go to the original Passover story, it was the blood of the Lamb that marked God's people to allow them to be led out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into the promised land. You see, the original context of Passover was never about the forgiveness of sins. Israel was not enslaved in Egypt because of sin, because they broke a covenant with God. That didn't happen until much later. 
It was all about God wanting to be with his people. And yes, we understand that sin being dealt with is part of the process. But sin being dealt with in your life is not so that you can go to heaven. There's a bigger reason for it. See, the forgiveness of sins is not just so that you can go to heaven one day when you die. The forgiveness of sins is what frees you to worship God here and now on earth. See, Jesus talked about eternal life in these terms. In John 17, this is eternal life that they may know you. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die and you go to heaven. Eternal life begins the moment sin is dealt with in your life and you can now have a relationship with the Almighty God. Because that's God's plan. God wants to know you. He wants relationship with you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So it's the blood. It's the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. You see, when you study the Old Testament history... When it comes to the tabernacle, we've been talking about this in our church on Sundays. A lamb had to shed its blood for the tabernacle to be cleansed. Why? So that God's presence could come down and dwell in the Holy of Holies. You see, because of Adam and Eve, sin separated our relationship with God. And the only way to pay for sin is death or blood. And so the lamb would be sacrificed to cleanse the tabernacle so that the presence of God could come and reside in the Holy of Holies because God's entire desire was to dwell with his people. See, it was never about rescuing his people off of earth. It was always about God dwelling with his people. That's what the Garden of Eden was all about. God wanted family. He wanted relationship. He wanted fellowship. He wanted to walk with man. To know, and this is so different from all of the gods of this time period. See, no other god was personal like this. See, when John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, that would have been one of the most radical statements to this, to this pagan first century culture. Gods don't love people. Gods use people. They manipulate people. What do you mean gods love people? You see, this Jewish God was so different. And again, it was never about rescuing us off of earth. It was always about creating a way for God to dwell with us on earth. So the lamb would be sacrificed, the tabernacle cleansed, so that God's presence could come and dwell in the holy of holies. See, that's what the cross is all about. That's why it was Passover. See, the blood is shed so that you and I now because it wasn't the blood of any old lamb, it was the blood of the perfect, spotless lamb of God, the son of God, that was shed on our behalf. That's what Good Friday was. For what? To cleanse us. Because no longer does God dwell in a tabernacle made by hands or a temple made by hands. The Bible is very clear. We are now the temple of God. You see, God's entire plan was to be able to dwell inside of us, to have relationship with us, to know us. So blood had to be shed so the temple could be cleansed, so that we could be forgiven of sins, so that God could know us, God could relate to us, God could dwell within this temple. And that was always the plan. See, the cross was never about us going to heaven. The cross was always about heaven coming to earth. 
It was always about God dwelling inside of us. It was always about setting up Jesus' kingdom here and now. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray that my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't pray that God takes you off of earth. Pray that God uses you to bring heaven to earth. And so it's the blood that cleanses us so that we could receive the presence of God, which happens in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said before he ascended to the Father, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. I'm sending a gift. My Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to take my very spirit, my presence, and I'm going to baptize you, immerse you, endue you with this for a reason. For a reason, not so that we could go to heaven, by the way. Again, this is the big fallacy of the church today, is we think the cross is all about getting people to heaven. No, the cross is not about getting people to heaven. The cross is about getting heaven to earth. Yes, when you die, you go to heaven. That's a byproduct of it, but that was never the goal. That was never the point. The whole point is dominion here and now, authority here and now. And so here's what he says. He says, now that your sins have been forgiven, now that you're clean, now that that my spirit, the very presence of God, can come and baptize you, dwell in you, empower you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And we have mission. Not and you'll go to heaven when you die, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Sumeria, and to the ends of of the earth. Witnesses to Jesus won the victory. Witnesses to his kingdom now be established on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the power of the cross. This is what Good Friday is all about. Jesus won the victory so that you and I could have power. So that you and I can establish his dominion on earth. Not so that we can go to heaven one day when we die. That's that's the wrong way to look at it. It's all about the power that we walk in here and now. Every day bringing heaven to earth. Setting up his dominion. Living with mission. Living with purpose. Living with destiny. that's, That's why this isn't just any old religion. In fact, it's not a religion at all. It's a relationship. It's we have been cleansed. We have been forgiven so that the presence of Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, can dwell inside of us, empowering us to set up Jesus' dominion here and now. And that's what the cross is all about. That's the message of Good Friday. It's the power of it all. And so before we close the service, we're going to receive communion together as a family. I'm going to invite the ushers forward now to hand out the communion elements. But I want you to go into it with this new understanding of what the cross is all about. We'll never fully understand the depth of the cross. Let's just be very honest and very real. Jesus' death, we're at best only ever comprehend a fraction of what it truly means. The true repercussions of it all. 
But if we can begin to taste a little bit of it here and now. And that's part of why we have the communion service. Because communion is not about remembering the resurrection. Communion is all about remembering the cross. So let's go ahead and hand out the elements. Has everybody been served? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, my body given for you. If you were with us last night, we did a whole teaching on what does the body represent. You see, communion is a two-act ceremony. There's two very specific elements to communion. And there's two very specific benefits to the communion. If you were in service last weekend, we, we dug into Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 reveals to us what the body was for. He said, my body was beaten so that you could be made whole. My body was whipped so that you could be healed. That's why Paul goes on to say that when you, don't, when you don't distinguish the difference between the body and the blood, when you don't understand what the body is all about, when you don't recognize what, what Jesus' body paid for on your behalf, there are a lot of people missing out on health and healing, and they're carrying sicknesses that they don't have to carry because they're not receiving the full benefits of what the cross accomplished. So the body was beaten so that you and I could be healed, healthy, and whole. That is so clear throughout the Bible. And that's why Jesus says, every time you do this, stop and remember that. Remember, let it build your faith to receive everything I paid for. A lot of us, we receive the forgiveness of sins, but so many of us don't receive the rest of what he paid for. And the same Death that paid for the forgiveness of your sins is the very same death that paid for your health and your healing, paid for your life. And that's why he says, make sure when you receive communion to distinguish the difference between the body. Father, we thank you tonight that you loved us so much, you wanted relationship with us. It was never about rescuing us from earth, it was about creating a way for you to be with us on earth. And so you sent your son to die, to be a sacrifice so that we could be cleansed, so that we could be healed, so that we could be whole, so that we could be forgiven so that we could become the temple that you now dwell inside, establishing your dominion and authority here and now. And so as we receive the bread together tonight, let this build our faith, your faith in us, to receive everything the cross to accomplish, our health, our healing, our freedom, our life. In the name of Jesus, let's receive the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is my new covenant. You know, yesterday when I was studying this, uh, I was asking the question, is this the first time the new covenant is mentioned in the Bible? Did Jesus introduce this phrase to us? And what I discovered is it comes from Jeremiah 31. It's a great study to do on your own later tonight. Jesus was saying, 
the new covenant. I'm, I'm here to fulfill Jeremiah 31, which if you study Jeremiah 31, would have been revolutionary for the Jewish mentality. Like, how is that possible? And what Jesus was saying is, I want to do something on the inside of you. I can forgive you. I can make you righteous through my blood so that you can be cleansed, so that you can receive the fullness of my life, my presence, my essence, so that you can walk in power and authority here and now on earth. It's the power of the new covenant. And the new covenant means it's not based on your performance. It's not based on your effort. It's not based on how well you obey or how good you are. The new covenant is entirely based on what Jesus did on your behalf. He did what you couldn't do. No matter how hard you tried, you could never be good enough. So he stepped into your place and he did it on your behalf. As we like to say, God treated Jesus like the worst sinner on the face of the earth. So that God can now treat you like the greatest Christian to ever live, whether you are or not. I don't know about you, I just know me, and I'm far from the greatest Christian to ever live. I'm probably way down in the bottom half, maybe like the maybe the top half of the bottom one percent. <laughs> and yet God treats me like the greatest Christian to ever live. Not because I deserve it, because of the new covenant of his blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that was spilled on Good Friday so many years ago. That one victory. By the blood, we have victory. By the blood, we now stand righteous with authority to take dominion, to bring heaven to earth, to establish your kingdom. And so as we receive this cup tonight, let it inspire us to the authority we have, the righteousness that we have, to live boldly for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to stand with us, and we're just going to worship just a little bit more before.